Welcome to Break Free from Binge Eating with me, Victoria. I'm so happy that you're here. If we haven't met yet, I just want you to know that I get you because I was you. I was stuck in the diet binge cycle and hating my body for over 20 years. I've overcome anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and I'm a domestic abuse survivor. Now that I'm free and happy from the inside out, I've dedicated my whole life to help other women feel the same. In this podcast, we're going to cover food and body freedom, self-love and personal development. And if you implement what you learn, you will be well on your way to healing your relationship with food and your body so that you can fall in love with yourself and your life. Ready? Let's go. Hello my queens, just a little heads up, the audio quality isn't the best in this podcast, Um, Kimberly's Wi-Fi wasn't great, um, so it does break up a little bit, especially at the beginning, but I definitely believe it is listenable, so please bear with us and enjoy the episode. What in... Welcome queens to another episode, I actually have a real life queen with me today, all the way from Australia, I have with me a special guest, Kimberly Spencer, and I'm going to read her bio to you and then let her introduce herself. So Kimberly is an award-winning high-performance trauma-informed coach and trainer, Amazon best-selling co-author, international motivational speaker, and the founder of crownyourself.com. Kimberly helps visionary leaders transform their self-limiting stories, build their empire, stand out fearlessly, and make the income and impact they deserve. What a queen. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you so much, Victoria, for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you and to share this space, queen to queen. Uh, I love that. Thank you. Um, I have 10 quick fire questions for you to get us both warmed up. So are you ready to go to go for it? Let's do it. All right. Number one, three things you love. Oh, my husband, my son and my other son. easy that was easy (laughs) number two do you have a favorite quote or mantra that you live by victor frankel man's search for meaning um between stimulus and response there is a choice and pretty much anything written by victor frankel um he called the ability to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances the last of our human freedoms and that is probably one of one of my favorite quotes, it was one that I shared in my TEDx talk that that ability is is really our superpower to be able to see the world through the lens of how we choose. Wow, that is very powerful. I love that one. Um, Number three, if you could describe self-love in three words, what words would they be? Compassion, grace, and forgiveness. Mm, love them if what is your favorite thing about coaching my favorite thing about coaching is challenging like I feel like my entire history really prepared me to do what I do now which is really challenging because I love challenging with the client's vision of their potential. And some of my clients have said that I can sometimes see where they want to be even before they can. And I think that as a coach, when you can challenge someone to hold them to that higher standard of what they desire, of who they desire to become to achieve that thing that they want to achieve or receive in their world, that if you when you see someone as that, you're seeing their light, you're seeing their superpower, you're seeing who they can be, you're seeing their potential, which is the power of coaching. Oh, yes. What a great explanation. You're holding the higher vision for themselves and, and holding it for them, even if they quite 
might not be able to see it quite yet, but you have that belief there. That's everything. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes yeah. so hard when you're in the thick of your stuff to be able to see the, the forest from the trees and just how close you actually are. Yeah. What's the next question is what's the most challenging thing you find about coaching? Surrendering that I am not responsible for my clients' results that I am a results-driven person. I love seeing my clients achieve transformation. I love seeing them get it. I love the breakthroughs. But I, And I can bring 100% of my skills, my time, my presence, my energy to the sessions to the work. Mm -hmm. They also have to bring 100% of choosing and deciding into transform. They also have to 100% of theirs. I can't take any of their responsibility to transform. That's on them. Yeah. What you put in, you get out, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. Yes. Okay. So the next question is, I want you to finish this sentence. So to bring myself back into the present moment, I. Take a deep breath. <laughs> take a deep breath and just to where I am, accepting that where I am is exactly where I'm supposed to be instead of where I think I should be, and be in that space of just embodied with breath and feeling that, that brings me back to center where I'm like, okay, we can, now we can move because we're actually in the in race. When you're shooting yourself, you're not even in the race. You're in a or in, in an illusion of where you think you should be or could be or would be if something and something hadn't happened. Breath, breath will always bring you back into that present moment, accepting the reality of what is and also acknowledging, you know, sometimes our fears of things that could happen even five minutes from now aren't necessarily going to come true. So that breath can and reminding myself of I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm here. I'm present. Things are pretty damn good. So we're all good. Wow, love that. And um, number seven, what's your favorite food? Favorite food, steak. <laughs> steak. I, yeah, my husband cooks that like three times a week. Do you like it? How do you like it cooked? I don't, how he, ever he cooked, I don't. <laughs> I burn water. I just learned how to steam broccoli properly. Um, he does all the cooking. He loves cooking. He is actually like the reason that we got to stay in Australia is he we switched our visa from being a visitor to being a, a, on a student visa. And he went to school and is going to school for chef to become a chef because he's always wanted to just master the craft of cooking. And like, I'll, I'll eat your homework. I'm good with that. <laughs> That's awesome. I would love that. Okay, number eight, weights or cardio? Cardio. Cardio, cardio queen. I am a, I am a, a marathon runner. Sixth, seventh marathon. Um, I love cardio. I don't like weights. I do love Pilates. I was a Pilates instructor for 13 years. So low weight five pounds or less I love weights and resisting but not like I'm not bent I'm not looking to bench 150 I'm good wow six did you say six marathons or seven marathons you've done six I, th I think I've done six marathons and I'm going for my seventh wow I did one I know I've only spent five I'm yeah I love I love running it's like it's meditative for me mm. when anybody is in alignment and feeling good when it's out of alignment sucks so i balance the running with pilates and yoga in order to be able to have the active the parasympathetic activation and alignment and have the running so i've just recently because i just beat four months ago so i'm just getting back into running and it feels so good wow that's epic. and also challenging Yes. 
The number nine, the best question you've ever been asked. What do you want? Ooh. Super simple. Mm. But what do you want? It is it is a stumper of a question for most people. And I have had to consciously and actively train my brain to focus on what I want and what I really want. What do you want? Not does not what does your industry say you should want or you know what you feel or believe that you should want. What do you actually want? Like what ignites your soul on fire? What makes you excited to get up out of bed every day? What do you actually want? What a great question. <laughs> so the last question is, if you could have dinner with anybody dead or alive, who would it be and why? Joan of Arc. I would love to understand how she thought I mean, for being a woman in her time who eventually was burned at the stake, but mm. what she heard and felt and how she like went into battle leading people, that is extraordinary. And the fact that she was able to do that and have some sort of spiritual guidance or connection and be open about that, I would love to understand more about how she thought. Yeah, wow. And and Kimberly, I've read through your story and you've been through a hell of a lot and you have a great story to share. So can you share with our listeners how you've become the queen that you are today? And of course, in between, I'm sure I'll have a lot of natural questions to ask you as you share your story. Absolutely. Yeah, I my story is not linear by any means. So I, and I don't think anybody's really is. Mm. Um, I found that I prefer to make my own mold rather than to conform to someone else's. But it took me a long time and a long history of conformity because I grew up in a household with an addict. And so growing up with that, I learned how to adapt my personality to make it be what someone would accept or what I believe someone would love. And through that, it made me choose very poor romantic partners. It made me not really love myself. So I wasn't being truthful. And so I battled for 10 years with bulimia. And the one thing that I always was open and honest about was always my career. And so I started out thinking the only model that I had growing up in Los Angeles was for a career that made the impact that I wanted to make and the income that I wanted to make. Because I always, I always grew up with a deep desire to make a difference and to make a lot of money doing it and to vote. I never saw money as bad. I grew up like, even though my parents, my dad was an addict and my mom was a codependent, I saw them build a company for 30 years into a multi-million dollar company starting out from nothing. And so that experience, and I saw their tenacity and their hustle. And I always love creating stories. So I thought that growing up in Hollywood, Hollywood would the entertainment industry would be where I would land. And so I focused my energy and attention on that. When I graduated high school, I had two scholarships to go to uh, uh, arts college. And I dropped out two weeks before I was supposed to start because I found this amazing acting class that my dad actually was a, he was a customer of, of my dad. And my parents were always super supportive of my career choices. And they always knew that I was very tenacious and audacious with my, when it came to career, when it came to other things, like I would, I would kind of caught like hide in the background. When it came to my ambitions, I, I always set myself up to be an ambitious person. And I think that's because growing up, I thought that maybe if I achieved enough, then, then my dad would stop drinking. Then, then I wouldn't, then then maybe if I change, then he would change. And that's not necessarily true. I had to change by establishing some boundaries. Um, but what happened was, is I found this acting class. And I remember the moment getting accepted into this, into this class where Ash Judd trained and Sean Astin and James Franco. And I got the syllabus and as like a straight A student, I was totally going to, you know, buy all the books on this list, like books on Hollywood and, and Meisner acting and, 
Bella Adler and different forms of, of acting studies. But in this big box, there was one book and said, this is the most important book you will ever read. And I was like, what's this? And so I went to Barnes and Noble and I was like keen on getting all the books. And I asked like, where's this book? And they're like, oh, it's in the self-help section. And I was like, what? <laughs> what does that have to do with good? What does that have to do with succeeding in, in, in show business? And so I picked it off off the shelf and I thumbed through it and I, I landed on this one page and I don't remember the exact words, but it went, it said something like you choose your emotional state, something to that degree. And it, this was like the first time that I ever heard this because growing up with an addict, everything was very reactionary. Everything was suppress, 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 escape, 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 which is what I modeled with bulimia. And then it would just blow up and explode. And then you would be at the mercy of your triggers and your reactions. And so seeing in plain language that I could choose my emotions and my emotional state and how I thought, I thought like mind blown. And it was the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. And it reading that book for the first time was seeing people communicate in a different language. You know they're speaking in a different language. You know they're saying things that they, they're communicating and, and hearing each other. You just speak that language yet. And I was like, I wanted to learn that language. And I realized I needed to learn the language of emotions. Mm -hmm. So I was able to go through this acting school and support myself in you know, growing my show business career. I didn't want to wait tables. So I found uh, through acting, actually, I found lots and it was for the first time I, I had been on my recovery, recovering from an eating disorder and searching out, like recognizing that certain environments weren't healthy for me. Like in the environment of being in a dance class was not healthy for me. Um, the environment of at the, being at the gym, I, di I didn't know what I, what I could do. I tried running. I couldn't run a mile to save my life back then. I literally couldn't run a block without having an asthma attack. Um, and I was able to like, so when I found Pilates, I was like, well, I know I need to be fit. I know I want to like working out. I just don't know how. And within 30 days, I saw results, not by trying to get, you know, any sort of results, but I just saw results. I saw the tone in my body. I finally felt good in my body. And I was like, I have to teach this to help other people feel this good. And so I started teaching Pilates. It was just one of those things where I followed my curiosity. And as I was teaching Pilates, my, uh, I had an opportunity to uh, write my first screenplay. And I co-wrote that with my with my with the director of this film and the film got greenlit and then produced and there i was like feeling like i was living this dream like i was serving in such a powerful way i was finally in a space where i was loving my body i was leading people to love their bodies as well and i was having my hollywood dreams fulfilled and my my um screenplay produced like i was like i felt on top of the world and yet still i was dealing with struggles with being choosing very poor partners for relationships and it was through that cycle though that once the film got produced it got picked up by netflix and distributed by lionsgate and i was at the premiere and i was like this is it like this is this is like dream come true and i was only 90 percent fulfilled and the same was true with Pilates. I was working in Pilates. I had just started my own private studio and I was still was only 90% fulfilled. I was loving parts of what I did, but other parts of what I did kind of bored me. And I loved parts of writing the screenplay, but other things I like wanted more control or I wanted to see things differently, or maybe I wanted to produce. I wasn't quite sure what it was. And two weeks after the film premiered, I got a text from a friend of a uh, of a friend or a, I got a text from my friend who was texting me about her friend who brought her son to the film because when you write a movie you get extra tickets and I was passing them out like candy so <laughs> this child this like and I say child this like teenager he was like 16 he came to the film I remember seeing him I was like briefly introduced to him and I was like hey okay I'd like had other places and other people and to meet but I met him and I remember him because that text two weeks later, my friend, my friend said, I just want to let you know, your film changed that kid's life. And I was like, what? 
Like this is a film. It's called Bro. It's I think it's still on Netflix, and it's like about the high flying, hard partying world of freestyle motocross. Something that nobody thought I would write. Like something that nobody thought I could write. In fact, when I did the press for that film, um, I had questions from female reporters asking me, like, "Did you only write the female parts?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, I wrote the male parts too. The parts that included the sex, the drugs, the motocross. The like, I I wrote those too." Um, but it was so fascinating to see like that this kid transformed his life from watching this film. And I said that, that is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to transform people's stories. I just didn't know how. Mm -hmm. And so I, I saw that it wasn't completely happening with Pilates. And that was when I had the opportunity to become a partner in an e-commerce startup. And we were going to take this back stretching device to market and it immediately I, I was brought on initially to be a consultant because of my Pilates background. And then I saw it and I said, I, I've always been very audacious with my career. So I'm like, I don't want to just be a consultant. I want to be a partner. Like I see the value in this. And so for two years, I, I grew that e-commerce company with my business partner. We it got it featured up in Times Square, like on the big giant billboards, like it was super, super exciting. And then three months before I was going to walk down the aisle to marry my husband and go off on our dream vacation because I had an e-commerce business that would support me. My business partner said he wanted to buy me out and I was crushed. And then all of those fears that I thought I had dealt with, the fears of not enoughness, the fears of deserving, the fears of worthiness that I had mastered in my body from healing myself from a, a 10 year battle with bulimia. I'd master them with relationships. I'd gone through them with relationships. I'd never gone through them with business or finances. And that was when suddenly I had professionals or lawyers coming to share with me all the fears that I had inside of like, oh, you're too sparkly. You're too girly. You don't know enough. You didn't go to college. You are too young. And so suddenly all of these fears of worthiness, deserving and enoughness, as I was fighting for our, our buyout agreement, mm. were brought to light by professionals and it crushed me. And so there I was on my honeymoon because we signed the buyout agreement three weeks before I walked down the aisle. Mm. I was on my honeymoon and I was like, what do I do when I get back? I didn't really want to go back to teaching Pilates. I had all of these passions. I loved writing. I loved marketing. I loved business. I loved bringing something to life. I loved, you know, helping people with their relationships. I loved, I, I'd mastered the relationships in the body areas. Like I knew I wanted something that in, was a holistic business. I just didn't know what it was. And so I was brainstorming with my husband over way too many espressos and I leaped off the couch and I said, crown yourself. And he's like, what's that? I said, I don't know, but that's the name of my company. And I immediately went to work in what I call productive procrastination, buying film equipment, hiring a web designer, getting a logo. And for a year and a half in my business, I made zero dollars. Wow. And that's because my self-worth was so low and I was so crushed. I was so scared of rejection that I actually went back to teaching Pilates. I got a, I didn't trust myself with my own Pilates business enough because it, that, uh, going through that buyout process really shattered my trust and my belief in my ability to be a business owner. So I got a side job teaching Pilates for less than I had made when I initially started teaching eight years ago, like that's how low my self-worth was. And I had started in about a year, I kind of started doing coach, like wellness coaching out of my car in between Pilates clients for $25 an hour. Wow. <laughs> I had such low self-worth. Yes. Low, low, low. Like now I charge $50,000 for 12 months. Like to yes. think that that's where I started. I'm like, holy crap. So the ability to transform my own story, that was key. And for that year and a half, I was becoming more and more of a negative Nelly. I just had a crappy mindset. I had, I had such, uh, I was complaining. I was blaming my former business partner for where I was. I was blaming everyone that I could. And, and I didn't like who I was becoming. And then I found out that I was pregnant with my first son. And I said, this version of who I am is not going to be the mother of my children. Like not at all, because the role of mother scared me way more than the role of business owner. 
And so I said, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to make this work. I know I can, I know it's a mindset thing. I knew it was a mindset piece. So I immediately got a coach. I knew I had to fast track the process. So I got certified in NLP timeline therapy and hypnosis. And within three months, I got my first $2,000 client. And then I got my first $5,000 client. And then I just grew my business from there. And it's, it's, Oh, I heard all of that apart from the very last part. Oh, I said, and now here we are in Australia, which has always been the vision for my, my husband and I was to be able to live in cultures and raise them while traveling and have a business that supports it. And when we made that decision, like I had to make that, my husband's a voice actor and a, and a heck of a relationship coach, but his relationship coaching business hadn't gotten off the ground. He was just predominantly like dependent upon his voiceover income. And so I had to say like, I had to step up as being the like primary income mm -hmm. earner. And it's been amazing. Like it's been such, such a journey just to think that just four years ago, I like could not afford to take my family on to buy a, a hotel room, let alone like pay for our lifestyle. Wow. What a story. Thank you for sharing that, by the way, Kimberly. And Thank I have so a much, Victoria. Yeah, I have a question um, which might be difficult to answer, but it's kind of in the context of the nature nurture question. It's like the chicken and the egg question, right? Do you think you would be where you were you where you are today if you hadn't experienced what you've experienced? Like, is part of your drive who you are, or do you think you've learned that throughout your experiences? Both. I mean, I think it's very much a nurture. Like studies show that about ninety percent of your programming is really set for the most part by the age of six. And mm -hmm. so going through the experiences of that. So, and then the rest of our lives is spent sometimes reprogramming some of the things that we learned and looking at those patterns. And so many of the patterns that I learned growing up because of the, my situation, like that, that really gave me a lot of drive and a lot. And, and also in the power to see that stories can be transformed no matter what age mm. like i saw my dad at the age of 69 become sober off of alcohol a 50 year addiction wow. because after i staged his intervention like and for four the last four years of his life because he he died in january mm. and the last four years of his life he was so proud that he had been sober because that allowed him to have a relationship with my son, mm. something that never would have happened. And so it, it was just such a testimony to the power of transformation and why I say like, I've always kind of had this coaching ability because I was the five-year-old who was challenging my dad's behavior. Mm. I was, I also learned sensory acuity at a very, very young age, because when you're growing up with an addict, you're like, you're kind of on edge when they come home, like who's going to come in the door? Is it going to be sober, cool dad, or is it going to be alcoholic asshole dad? Or is it going to be the stoner dad who doesn't really care? Is it like who's, or is it going to be the manic pill popping dad with some like surprise purchase that he just spent, you know, $5,000 on because why not like a giant mantle one time he brought home? Like you don't know who's coming home. And so it trains you to adapt your behavior at a very early age to say, okay, I know that to survive, I need to, or at least the perception is the perception is to survive. I need to, you know, hide in my room or I need to not voice my opinion or, and so you start to see how you adapt your personality. Um, and that's why as, as a skill set, like for a coach, like I can kind of see when a client is about to be like on the edge of a breakthrough, because I can see that and then I can adapt my questions to be able to pivot, to allow for that. So now I use it as a superpower. Um, how it didn't serve me was for years and for those, you know, I would say 10 years of my life, um, where I would be a chameleon 
and an appeal pleaser to whatever anybody else thought I wanted or whatever I thought they wanted or needed from me in order for me to feel loved and accepted. And I have long for me to get to a place of absolute self-acceptance and it's still a journey, but like mm -hmm. the, the journey to radical self-acceptance has been powerful um, and really owning all of who I am rather than seeing it as like, oh, I need to chip away this piece. My mom, when I was uh, when I was dating, called me the runaway bride. So there was a, the scene in the, the movie, The Run Runaway Bride with Julia Roberts on how she would like adapt her eggs to whatever style, whatever man she was dating or engaged to. And for me, I, w I wouldn't adapt my eggs. I've, I've been pretty s straight up on how I like my food, but I would adapt, um, maybe I wouldn't show my ambitious side. Or I would hide um, how I like my quirkiness or my weirdness or my sense of humor, or I would try to be like uber sexy, or I would try to be um, like just muffled and toned back or like good little wifey. And none of those ever worked. And that's why I say that my forever husband now is like, he was my experiment in complete honesty. And I just like first, first. And I just no bullshit. I said this. This is basically who I am. This is what I've been through. Um, take it or leave it. And he loved it. He found it incredibly refreshing. And so that's been the foundation of our marriage for nine years, our relationship for nine years, married for seven. Wow. I just want to acknowledge and honor your dad. Just before we just go over that, I just want to just send my love to you and everything that you went through with him and how it was such a beautiful ending in the end with regards to him becoming sober. I think that's a really big deal to acknowledge. So I want to acknowledge that. And I think, hopefully you got that. Did you get that? Thank the you. connection's not great, but. I did, I did get that. Yes, okay. I did. Good. Um, and the next thing I wanted to ask you is in regards yes, to your bulimia. I received that. Okay, good. Um, in regards to your bulimia, what do you think helped you the most to, like, what was your steps to recovery? Because I'm sure it wasn't just an oven. Well, that's probably one of my limiting beliefs. You can't just wake up and be okay. Maybe you can. Like, can you share how you experience healing from that? I think it was definitely a process. And, and I think that for me, it was process and it was no longer process. Like that's one one of the things is I don't like in the and I just had a big disagreement that I don't I personally don't believe that if you are that you're in recovery for the rest of your life, like the mm -hmm. the who I was as my identity as a bulimic is no longer who I am today. Like it's a completely different person. I look back on that girl. I just want to give her the biggest hug for who she was because of how she saw the world. And for me, it started my process. The process going into bulimia was very much seeing disordered eating in my family. Like my dad, whenever he would try to get sober, he would do like a fast. So he would do like a 40 day fast or something. Um, he would eat only pea soup. So, and then my mom, I, I like, I still have to remind her to this day to like say something nice about herself. She just always commented on her body ever since she had gave birth to me. And she always compared herself to past versions of herself or what she looked like in her 20s and 30s. And she mm -hmm. had me later. She had me in her 40s. And that seeing that and seeing the patterns of my mom having her struggles with eating and chocolate and, and sweets and then my dad having his patterns, I learn good behavior for eating. I didn't learn good resourcing. Um, and I, we also had a really poor diet. Like my dad would drink like a two liter bottle of Coke and of diet Coke and in a day and probably had alcohol in it. <laughs> but like it, it from like diet Coke and, and eating microwavable meals. So like, even though my mom was always into health in a way, it was like she was into health and into vitamins, into supplements. And that's actually what started me with bulimia was one day I was just, I had, I had started binging. Um, and I would, I would just, I always had weird eating hats and my friends would call 
comment on it. No, 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 I'm just going to skip lunch. I would just like skip food for periods of time. And um, it was when I, and then I would go out and with my mom and I would like just binge. And that was when I, and it would always like cause my stomach to not feel good. And so I saw a commercial for vitamins and I thought, oh my, well, we have lots of vitamins. Let me take some, a handful of vitamins. I took a handful of vitamins and one got stuck in my throat. And suddenly that when I purged and, and it was for the first time I felt this like eerie peace and silence from all the noise that was going on in my head, all the judgments, all the doubt, all the fears, all the stuff that I wanted to suppress and repress. And I felt like I finally had like a safe space inside the bathroom. Um, and so that that started the cycle and I was 11 and from there it didn't it didn't help that I was also um I was also a dance so when I was nine the teacher said well maybe you should stop eating at four at 4 p.m and I was like 4 p.m I'm like up until like nine o'clock at night and I have homework and so there were, there were all these like suggestions and patterns that I was exposed to at a very young age um and what I found is like you think nine or 11 is a shocking age but like statistics show that nine, the age nine to 11 is, is a key age to just like love on your children. If you're a parent, because that age is, is when most kids will turn to an eating disorder and to porn. And that was shocking for me when I, when I found out those statistics as I was um, in the process of writing my book that's coming out next year called rule, rule your body. And that, that, so I went into the state of bulimia I was using that as a crutch. I wasn't like fully bulimic until I went to high school. And then I was like super achiever, trying to get straight A's, trying to be perfect, really like struggling with not being perfect and being, you know, human. And, and it was in that space that then I recognized that I'm doing this often and I have a problem. And I mentioned it, I remember I was like 16 years old and I met, I just, I just decided to mention it at a family dinner, which was very rare. And I remember it because my family never had dinner together. Like we would have dinner, like often our own things, we would do our own things. And then, or like we would have dinner in front of the TV, um, never really bonding. And it was from that one time that we actually had like dinner at a table together that I just felt comfortable sharing. I said, I, I think I may have a problem. I'm, I'm starting, I'm like, I've been, I've been throwing up my food. And my dad goes, oh, I do that. And I was like, oh, okay. So, oh, all right. Um, so I didn't quite know how to take it. And what happened, but my mom was concerned. And so I do remember I... conversation i walked up the stairs to go do my homework and i the upstairs house was not well insulated and so you could hear like every footstep so i've gotten really good at sneaking across the hallway to go into my bathroom mm. and i went upstairs i went into my room and i was about to and i i guess my mom heard me open the door I was like kneel in front of the toilet i hear my mom barreling up the up the staircase and she like pulls me away pulls me off of the toilet and pins me down and this is like visceral anger i'm so mad at her i'm so mad just period mm. all of emotions coming out all of her fears and her hurt and her guilt and her shame fears and my guilt and just she ended up pinning me down on the floor and sitting with me and she said, I love you, Kim. I am not going to let you kill yourself. Aww. She recognized that an eating disorder was a slow form of suicide. And it was in that moment that I was like, okay, I know that what I'm doing is not working. Mm -hmm. I know I have parents that love me. They have their problems, but they love me. And I know I don't want to die. So let me see if I can find a better way. And so I started out initially with just looking at, well, maybe if I just did some restrictive eating that wasn't like, and so I made up all these funky food rules. Like if I eat this, then like, I'm okay. And it, it, it'll be a non-throw up day. If I eat this, then, then, then that's when I would go to the bathroom and purge. And eventually by about six months later, I found 
book, Skinny Bitch, um, that is all about veganism. And I thought, you know, maybe it struck a chord with me of like animal cruelty and looking at that. And well, maybe if I stop eating animals and stop, you know, consuming, remove some of the cruelty, then maybe I'd be kinder to myself. Um, and so I was a vegan for six years until my body literally said, you're good. No more. <laughs> no more. Obviously, my favorite food is steak. So I still eat. Um, because the only thing I craved for six years was red meat. And I know blood type. Blood type if uh, you read Dr. Peter Diop's book, on Eat Right for Your Type, those are really good with uh, meat and veggies. And that's like, that's, I eat predominantly meat, uh, predominantly veggies, and then some meat. And but for those six years, I was I was very vigilant about being vegan just because I felt like my life depended on it. I felt like I needed to have those parameters of rules and using vegan was a was a good excuse for me to be able to say that and then not have to justify any funky food rules. And so I just let that be what it is until I had started teaching Pilates and then I felt started to feel really good in my body and thus and and then the 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 eating disorder of the triggers I started just questioning. I because the beautiful thing is when once I started teaching ten different people with ten different belief systems, ten hours a day, six five days. So what that does is it completely changed my environment. So the model of the world that I grew up in, I started to see other people surviving and thriving in different belief systems. And that shook my model of the world to be able to see, oh, well, they're obviously doing well. They're obviously doing something right. What if, what if I did that? What if I believe that? What if I thought thought about my body that way? What if I, or what if I didn't think about that? Oh, this person thinks like I do. And I'm like, oh, I'm not liking their results of how, how they're, of the, what they're achieving in their life or what they're receiving in their life. And so by just starting to shift my environment and then question my triggers, I just started to ask myself better questions. And I, and I attribute a lot of this to being in a, a very, emotionally intelligent acting class where we were encouraged to question what made us feel. And so I was in this constant state of questioning of like, oh, this makes me feel like I want to purge. Well, what, what makes me feel? What is that? Like, what is that emotion? What, mm -hmm. what it, and what's causing that emotion? What is the stimulus to that emotion? And that's why my, one of my favorite quotes by Viktor Frankl is between stimulus and response, there is a choice. And that is, that is the space that I started to navigate. And initially when you, when I first started to navigate, you know, healing and, and changing my mindset around how I ate my eating patterns and bulimia, like that space was, there wasn't like, it was like this, it was tight, but eventually through questioning, through asking better questions, through getting curious about, okay, well, when I feel hurt or when I feel overwhelmed, that's when I'll reach for like the giant bag of cookies okay, well, what's actually, what, what's beyond that? What's actually causing the overwhelm? Is it, is it my emotional, my relationships? Is it my work? Is it my, that do I feel like I'm living on purpose? I started really just asking myself more and more questions to acknowledge and recognize the emotions. And that's when I started to really pivot and change. And and I started, and I was, and simultaneously, because I was a Pilates instructor, I was also activating my parasympathetic nervous mm -hmm. system. So yeah. from a physiological standpoint, that that's what I know now. I didn't know that that was going to be helping me with recovery from bulimia, but now having studied trauma and breath work and that experience of doing Pilates on a daily basis to train my parasympathetic nervous system to work properly. Because prior to that, I just fight, flight, flee. I would just, that, that was where I lived yeah. versus yeah. having, allowing for that oscillation of periods of stress and then periods of rest and digesting. And that oscillation, that the ability to train my body from that physiological standpoint transformed how I breathed. It transformed how I felt in my body. It transformed how I thought. And, and meanwhile, I was also eating very, very pure. So I would, I had stopped because I had become vegan. 
I had stopped eating a lot of the processed junk. I started eating a lot, like a lot more salads and, and soups and, and choosing more healthier options because that was what I was in my parameters of this identity of being a vegan. And mm. once I'd gotten comfortable with that, I then, I then eliminated gluten out of it because after, after about five years of being a vegan, I had no energy I had, and I was super cloudy in my thinking and I had like complete brain fog all the time. And I was living off of uh, coffee and rockstar energy drinks were the like the one like really crappy thing that I would drink awful. Um, and and that experience of being able to question and retraining my brain to question, I started to question what I was eating. And I started to question like I've had for six years this craving for a burger, <laughs> like the six years of craving for meat. And at first, so at first I eliminated gluten from my diet, felt way better. And then I added back in just red meat and just a little bit. And I, within five minutes of eating red meat, I felt transformed because by being vegan for six years, I'd become anemic. Um, but within like five minutes of eating a protein burger from In-N-Out, I felt amazing. And that, that showed me I built up the trust with my body to trust my body when she's full and trust my body to give me the the insights as to what she needs to be fueled. And I remember because I was into pageants and in, I was 22 years old and I had signed up for the Miss California pageant, Miss California USA. And I had worked my body in into a space where I felt really amazing in my body. I did it healthily. I did it. I, I felt so toned. It was the first time I'd ever been do, be doing a pageant in a bikini. Um, I'd done pageants before that were more for scholarships, but uh, this one was the first time in a bikini. And I remember the moment that I walked out on stage for the swimsuit portion and 4,000 people cheered. And I'm on this brightly lit stage in a bikini and I felt unbelievable. I felt amazing. And I literally could care less whether those seven judges in the shadows thought I was worthy, deserving of a crown, because I knew in that moment that I had, I had crowned myself. I knew in that moment that I was free forever from bulimia and that I had conquered that. And I had, and I had transformed myself into a whole new identity. Wow. That is incredible. And I know we're coming up onto time. Are you okay for maybe another 15 minutes or you've got to go for the hour? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, because okay. I have quite a few questions, so I'm going to choose wisely. Um, if someone feels that like they're stuck, which I know you and I know there's no such thing as actually being stuck, but it can feel very real to a lot of people. What advice would you give to someone who feels like stuck in their life with nowhere, no way out? Move your body. Start moving this body because the feelings of stuckness, feeling of stuckness is an emotion. It's like stuck emotion and emotion needs motion. So by moving your body and breathing with it, whether it's exercise, Pilates, yoga, dancing, just being silly and like moving your body like a wacky person in your living room when no one's looking, yes. like that will help shift and change the energy. One of my favorite things to do in the morning is I turn on music. Sometimes my four-year-old will come in and want to dance with me, um, but I'll just do like dancing in front of the mirror. Like that's my get get the movement flow in time. And it's different than my, my designated exercise time because I just allow my body to feel how she wants to feel. And I allow for those, those feelings to come through. I give the, the emotions of any emotion that I'm experiencing a place and a space to breathe through and, and, and move. So first move your body. If you're feeling stuck second, once you've been moving your body, start breathe, 
and start to deeply connect with your breath. Feel the breath fueling your lungs because uh, sometimes when we're stuck, the breath is stuck as well. And it's stuck in the top third portion of our lungs because when we're stressed, we're not really breathing deep into our the base of our lungs and into our diaphragm. Mm-hmm. And so if you can start breathing and imagining the breath going down into the back and sides of your rib cage, that'll actually physiologically connect you deeper into your core, into your diaphragm, into your solar plexus chakra where that's the center of your of your personal power and it'll also help open up the rib cage and your heart chakra to open up that that space and give it some space by just breathing um one of my uh i love the quote from jay shetty's book think like a monk um where he mentions that uh about that's the first thing you learn as a monk is basically how to breathe and they say well that's what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life so you might as well focus on it and we're not taught to breathe like Mm. we can survive three you know i I think it's like a certain amount of days without food only three days without water but only three minutes without breath and so breath is key and important to really unlocking and opening up our bodies so move breathe through the movement and then once you're moving and breathing start asking yourself a better question so Mm. if you're feeling stuck the there's probably a stuck story that's kind of on repeat so instead ask yourself a what or a how question because if you ask yourself a why question which is what most people do that gets them feeling stuck a why question is going to give you it's going to direct your subconscious mind to give you all the answers as to why it is is so it's going to give you self-limiting beliefs it's going to give you reasons it's going to give you excuses it's going to give you some past trauma it's going to give you you know that thing that happened in high school or that you know experience when you were six like it's going to give you all these reasons why why is a really good question when it's directed toward purpose and vision and you're like you start with that why toward like what is it you want to create but when you're looking at like a stuck thing or a Mm -hmm. negative thing you don't want to go with why you want to go with a what or how question what can i change how can i think about this differently what do I need to see that I'm not currently seeing? How can I, how can I rearrange the situation? What do I get to, what, what new choice is this stuck situation allowing me to, to choose into? What can I, what do I need to make a decision on? Because a lot of times when we feel stuck, it's because we're actually not making a decision either. So mm-hmm. that's step number four. So once you start asking a better question, then just make a decision. So, so much of our programming is geared around like right or wrong. And we're fearing making that wrong choice, that wrong decision. However, really the only wrong decision is staying stuck and making no decision. So just make a decision. If that decision is I'm going to move my body. If that decision is I'm going to send an email. If that decision is um, I am just, I'm going to send a text that you know to my that question guides you to make a decision and then take action on that decision yeah love those advices thank you and one more before we go into your books I would love to talk about that as well um I had a client say to me the other day and I really want your opinion on this I live by life happens for me and not to me however been having been through a lot of trauma myself I of course spent many years why me it's his fault I'm like this all of those stories I communicated to her an opportunity to see her trauma as a gift and she really is struggling to see it as a gift because she's her perception is if I see it as a gift that's saying that what they did to me is okay and it's not okay so can you just like speak to that for a little bit Yeah. So one of the most insidious things that keeps you stuck in the past and in past trauma and from moving forward is blame. And there is, there is a big difference between being a victim of an experience and being in a victim mindset. Mm -hmm. The Mm. experience that happened, you were a victim of. I was sexually molested. I was a victim of that as a child. I was a victim of sexual molestation. I chose to repeat that story to keep myself in a victim mindset. 
to continue blaming my dad, my past, my history, my experiences, because that was the story that I had gotten stuck on. That was the trauma cycle that I was in. The mm. only way that I, I blamed my dad for my 10 years of bulimia, he never shoved my finger down my throat. That was me. So when we're blaming someone else for our problem, for something that happened to us, yes, something happened. Yes, you were a victim of a circumstance. Mm. Eventually, you have to make the choice. Um, unless you want to keep blaming that person for all the bad that's currently in your life, because eventually, if you blame them for all the bad, as Tony Robbins says, you also have to blame them for all the good. Yes. And my question yeah. is, do you want to give them that credit? Like when I recovered from bulimia, I wanted my recovery to be mine. When I wanted my transformation to be mine, I didn't want it to be my dad's. He had his own journey, he had his own transformation that he needed to make. I wanted my recovery to be mine. And so the only way that I could actually own my recovery was owning the fact that I had made choices that were out of a victim mindset because I was stuck in a cycle of blame, which keeps you in a cycle of shame, which keeps you in a cycle of guilt, which keeps you stuck in that past trauma. So if you are actually looking to move forward and through that trauma to choose, to, to create a new life, the beautiful, a victim is a, that you can become a creator. Like the, the thing that happened for me that I created from that experience of being sexually molested when I was a kid was I was able to have a very powerful and candid conversation with my dad that unlocked his own healing because my dad had been sexually abused as a child and it had been a cycle that had repeated itself for generations in my family. And I said, by having the openness, by opening the door, it opened the door to his own healing. Mm -hmm. And from that space in 2018, he gave me permission to share that experience. I said, I will never share that until you've passed. And just recently I've started sharing that that happened, but that allowed me to create my own forgiveness, to, to forgive him. It allowed me to see him through the eyes of compassion because he was just enacting, he was just repeating his own trauma. That's what happens with trauma is we will repeat it. Mm. What you, what you resist persists. So by me choosing to stop seeing myself as a victim of that experience, I chose to empower him to start seeing himself as a victim, start empowering him to forgive. And that experience, he then, the, the ripple effect of that was that because that happened to me, I was able in a crowd of 2000 people, I was at a, at a conference back in 2018. And in this conference, we were, we, uh, my mentor, Brendan Bouchard, said, I want everyone to gather into a circle to, oh, you know, Brendan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually yeah. Uh, my yeah. fiance was certified as high performance coach from Brendan and I've gone through all his trainings yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So we were there at the, at the conference and Brendan said to like gather in a group of, and share your most trying experience. And it was the first time in a public group um, that I shared that experience because it was small, intimate. It wasn't going to be broadcast to the world, but I felt comfortable in opening up that. And I knew I was going to share this. And immediately, but as we were gathering into this group, I saw this one guy and I said, come on over. Cause I, I don't know what it was about him. I just said, come on over. And as we were going through, it turned out that three people in our group had experienced sexual trauma as a child or as an adult. And this guy, I could, I saw him, it was coming around Robin, it was coming to him and he was going to share his experience. And I knew he was going to bullshit. I knew he was just going to say some made up, like I just, my gut, and I looked at him. And for the first time, he admitted that he was raped when he was 12. And from that experience, I, I saw that because of what happened to me. I would never have been able to recognize that had I not had that. Mm. And there was another certified high performance coach who had also experienced sexual abuse. We took him outside and he helped him process through his breakthrough as, as a coach looking forward, not dealing into the trauma, but being able to look forward at what this, 
would allow him to do with this freedom now recognize that allowing that that shadow part of himself that he had felt so much shame and guilt around we spent an hour with him and just talked him through and he felt better and finally we got into him to a place where he was like more lighthearted and felt like a weight had been lifted off his shoulders i called my dad and i said what you did i know you know it was wrong I don't need to tell you that. What you did, I think we just saved a life. Mm -hmm. And I thanked him for that experience because, not because that what he did was not wrong, because it was, but what he did was able to transform me to be able to see that in others, to be able to help other people. And many of my clients have had sexual trauma as well. And I didn't know until just this like three months ago i had a conversation with the guy again we met up for for uh, a a zoom chat like a, a meetup and he said kim i want i want to let you know you saved my life and i was like yeah you've said that before he goes no I, i've never actually shared this with you he said i was planning my suicide for that night that is life happening for you wow <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That's a lot. And so freaking powerful. Yeah, I'm speechless. Just thank you for being so open and honest. And I really hope that those that are listening, who are maybe struggling to see it as happening for them and not to them, it's not saying that what the person did is okay, but it's finding the compassion and the empathy for why they did that and then standing in your own truth and moving forward. So yeah, thank you. That is a great, absolutely phenomenal place to to end the question in, Kimberly. But I would love for you to share about your book that's coming out in, in January. Is that correct? This next year? Um, it's yeah, it's coming out in January. That's a tentative release date, but yes, it is coming out next year by it, around January. That that's the anniversary of my dad's death. Um, so January, February. Um, and my book is called rule your body it's about taking command of your health and your life and your choices and owning all of who you are and ultimately crowning yourself and it's a process that i went through the thinking process of the thoughts the questions that i challenged the beliefs the old identity that i had when i was struggling with an eating disorder that um, is every single step of of how i was able to heal um, and, and recover and change my mindset about my body so that now, like I look at my body and I have given birth, I'm to two beautiful humans and never after having given birth naturally twice, will I ever like not see the power that this vessel holds, especially as women. And that is the power that happens when you transform your story about your body when you transform your story about your trauma when you transform your story about your life you have the potential and a powerful ripple effect to change people and your story might just save someone else's life yeah wow where can they connect with you and are you taking on clients how can they work with you yeah i am taking on clients so if if you love this conversation, if you want to dive deeper into into this well-owning and embodying who you are and standing in your power and you know building an empire and having your, your story have a ripple effect, um, then definitely just go to crownyourself.com and hit the button that says work with me. And I look forward to having a conversation with you. Amazing. And I will obviously link everything below. And can we have your... The link to your TEDx talk as well, so I can put that in the in the notes. Yes, I'm just waiting for it to come out. Okay. <laughs> just happened like three weeks ago, and I'm just waiting for it to come out. So, if you go to youtube.com forward slash uh, c slash crown yourself, you can it will be in our playlist there, and I will definitely send it to you when. Uh, when it actually hits the interwebs i'm just like come on i'm so excited for it to come out 
Oh, I cannot wait to watch it. And of course, I'll link everything, all of your links below as well. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, which is never ending. Our hearts are infinite with the infinite love we have. And thank you for your wisdom, for your time. It's been incredible. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria. You are a beautiful soul. And I, I love connecting and the fact that we can just connect from so far apart in the world and yet still feel so close and deeply connected. Mm, it's amazing. Thank you. And have the most wonderful evening where you are and much love to you. Much love right back. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you so much. I would love to ask you a little favor that will literally take you probably one minute. Can you do that for me? (laughs) Okay. It is to rate and review this podcast. And the reason I'm asking you is because if you do this for me, it will enable me to reach more women so I can help them and spread the message around the world of self-love, food and body freedom, which is much needed. So again, thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, by the way, please screenshot it and tag me on social media on Instagram at Victoria Kleinsman and on Facebook, it's Victoria Kleinsman. Okay, have an amazing day. Sending you lots of love.